Thanks for listening to Making It Queer. Making It Queer is a Level Ground podcast. Level Ground is an arts and culture collective that is collaborating with artists to inspire empathy and friendship across societal divisions. You can support Level Ground by becoming a member for just $5 a month. Learn more about the perks of membership and sign up at onlevelground.org forward slash membership. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of the Making It Queer podcast. Um, If you've listened to the recent episodes, we've been um, speaking with a lot of filmmakers who have films at OutFest. This is not one of those episodes. We're excited to have with us the filmmaker Liz Bartlett. Liz, welcome. Thank you. Liz has a new film that's premiering this Thursday on Logo at 8 p.m. called Light in the Water. And we're going to take, oh, it's it's a pun. We're going to take a deep dive. (laughs) Yes. Into that film uh, in just a moment. But we're going to start, as we always do, by learning a little bit more about our guest. So, Liz, who are you? So, um, I am a documentary filmmaker. I'm from Reno, Nevada. Reno? raised, yeah. First guest from Reno. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I went to college in San Francisco, uh, where I studied media studies and um, performing arts and social justice at USF. Oh, wow. And um, USF's a Jesuit school, and they're all about um, your education. With your education comes a responsibility to give back. And I've always been interested and gotten the most joy out of shining a light on stories that I feel like are people don't notice or they aren't talked about enough. So, um, so yeah, that's um, that's kind of that part of it. Um, and so something personal is that um, <laughs> when I was 14, my oldest brother died. Um, and then when I was 18, my dad passed away and they were both really sudden. And I've been a swimmer through it all. And um, the water always gave me like uh, peace and escape. And so and I think since a kid, I've been attracted to the water. Yeah. Uh, so did you grow up Jesuit? Did you grow up Catholic to is that what sent you to USF or did you just go because it's San Francisco it's a great school yeah yeah the latter I didn't grow up religious but um, being from Reno San Francisco is the closest city and Mm -hmm. I always loved it there and um, I wanted to study theater which is why I went there and then um I wanted to do theater production, but the the program there was really centered around acting. So that's how I kind of got into the media studies side of it. Talk to me about the relationship with the social justice side. Yeah. How was that uh, taught to you or how was that uh, integrated into the creative work that you were doing as a student? Yeah, I think that um, it kind of felt like all of the teachers that were there were in San Francisco for a reason because they wanted to live there. Um, San Francisco is such a politically active city that it, it just felt like everyone was involved in something. Mm-hmm. There wasn't like a whole lot of camaraderie on campus because it's a city school, but it felt yeah. like everybody there was involved in the community and some kind of activism. So all of the classes are kind of, um, a lot of the classes have that social just, justice act, aspect, like for media studies, gender in the media was a big class, um, stuff like that. Yeah, cool. And Light in the Water is your first film. Yeah. It's, it's so good. And it's her first, makes me angry. <laughs> it's so good. So you finish, you finish USF and... But now we're talking in L.A. at the Level Ground office here in L.A. 
how do you how do you get from there to here? Yeah, um, I had a friend in Reno who started a nonprofit um, to called Project Moonshine to teach kids about documentary filmmaking by having them make a doc about something happening in, in the community. Hmm. So at the time, I was studying at USF, and during the summer, I would come back and help with that. So that kind of got my interest going um, in in documentary. And then also one of my teachers at USF was Sam Green, and it was a big deal to have him as a... He was my documentary teacher, and he did The Weather Underground, which I think was nominated for an Oscar. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, after college graduation, I used my savings to buy a video camera. Um, it was a little Sony HVR A1U. <laughs> great little camera um it was great because like it has an xlr input so you can have a legit mic and pretty much all you have to do is set the white balance and it looks good Mm -hmm. so for someone like me that's more interested in capturing the story than like being a technician it was great yeah anyways too much information no that's (laughs) great side note on the camera that's great um yeah and then i had a job for about a year in san francisco working at um, this website called Fora TV, which is kind of an encyclopedia of um, speakers. They partner with like the Commonwealth Club and different um, hosted speaking events. And then they would film it and catalog it on the website. So our job was to watch the videos and kind of try and find the most interesting parts of the videos. So it was a very digital job, but at the same time, I was like watching all these interesting lectures all the time and taking in all this information. So after about a year there, I just wanted to get out there. So I moved back to Reno to kind of figure out what was next. And that's when I, um, I, I got into the idea that I really felt like everyone has a story. I think being a student in San Francisco, I, um, I just, just being surrounded by so much diversity, I was struck by like how, how many like, people come from so many different walks of life all around the world. And we're all, everyone has a story because everyone's coming from somewhere totally different, Mm -hmm. but we all have so much in common too, but maybe you've never thought about the person next to you, their perspective until someone puts a frame around it. And then it's like, it's always interesting. I think. So, um, I started doing video portraits as I called them. And, um, I also did some love stories, like friends that were getting married. I would film them and interview them about, who they are and how they met and what they love about each other and just like very cute little (laughs) romantic videos. Um, So I did a few of those. And then when I was in Reno, um, there was a, there was a co-working space starting up and there I met a bunch of freelance workers basically. Um, That was really empowering because it was all these people who were working for themselves and there I was, I was editing videos, like just editing my own stuff. And somebody who worked at a corporate workspace, but, but worked out of the, the co-working space was called Reno Collective. He noticed I was doing video and he said, we need videos for my company. So he kind of took a chance on me and they hired me to do a bunch of videos for them. So that was cool because it was like, it was still documentary. I, yeah. Luckily I was hired by companies where the employees were really happy and they wanted to talk about it. So I just interview them about their jobs and the workplace and then edit it into a video that lived on the website. Yeah. So I got into doing a couple different 
um, a few different, like for different companies. And, um, eventually like then I made a safety video for a power plant (laughs) in the middle of Nevada. Um, it was like a coal power plant and I, I spent a few days on the power plant, like wearing a hard hat and going around and filming people. Um, and then I got hired by a medical research company to put their research into video form Mm -hmm. and they had a brand new health and wellness program. Um, So what we did is we followed people in the community who had undertaken the health and wellness program. So on that, I did everything. Like I, I did all the interviews, I filmed it, I edited it, which is like way too much and not a good idea for anyone. Um, but I learned a lot and the fire chief at the time in Reno ended up losing like 30 pounds was a great story. And so from there I was really ready to move to LA. Um, there was a movie that came to town called The Motel Life, um, starring Emile Hirsch, and I heard it was coming, and I just decided I would do whatever it took to be on set. Um, and I showed up, and they said, sure, you can intern, you can come whenever you want, and I went every day. And it was like three weeks, and it was amazing, and that inspired me to move to L.A. <laughs> it's cool. So Yeah, it sounds like the work, so many insanely talented filmmakers get their start in the commercial realm. Yeah. So it's not an odd thing to hear. I made a power plant video, (laughs) safety video and all these things, because you are learning as you go, you know, you could probably give a list of things you learned through those experiences that inform the work you did on your doc. So yeah, yeah, for sure. There's always an honest part of the story that is, you know, interesting. Yeah. Something you're trying to get to. Yeah. 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 Light in the Water chronicles the birth and life of the West Hollywood Aquatics Club, and in the process shows how it is another lens through which to study LGBTQ history in America. Through archival footage and interviews with members of the club, some of whom were record-setting swimmers, Light in the Water celebrates athletes that happen to be gay and who formed a community that still provides shelter and strength for gay athletes, young and old. It also chronicles the growth of the gay games and the club's key role in its development. Liz, I understand that you are a longtime member or a member of the West Hollywood Aquatics Club. Talk to me about the genesis of the film, where it came from, how you were involved in that. Yeah. So um, when I moved here seven years ago, I, I'm a swimmer. So I, I um, just Googled swim teams and um, the West Hollywood Aquatics website was, I think, the most inviting. And um I identify as straight, but I thought it would be a great way to meet open-minded people in a new city. And I think I, I also felt like it would be more of a family. And I didn't know, I knew like two people when I moved here. Um, so I live in Los Feliz and I, I have since I moved here and it's a drive. It's like a 30 minute drive, but it's worth it. <laughs> um, so I, I, yeah, I joined the team and I just felt so welcomed and felt the warmth of the family immediately. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, yeah, so after, after a while of being in LA and kind of working different jobs, I, when I came here, even though I had been doing video work, I felt like I wanted to really like start from the bottom up and learn about filmmaking just because I wasn't sure if I wanted to compete as like an independent filmmaker yet. Mm -hmm. So I started as an assistant editor and interning. um, And 
after a while really realized like you have to make your own projects mm-hmm. like, nobody's gonna come along and ask you to yeah. direct something yeah <laughs> here's the next oscar contender <laughs> yeah you, you seem really yeah, talented you got this yeah <laughs> so i really felt like there was a story there and um I had talked to a few team members about it. What I was most struck by was like how, like I, as a swimmer, like I find spirituality in the water and I wanted to kind of tell the story of swimming and also um, athleticism and how being a part of a community, but also how the endorphins just like change your brain and make you more positive. And so I wanted to tell that story, but also show the diversity of the team by following a few team members in their daily lives outside the pool. Um, so I kind of thought it would be like a, sh- a nice short film. And then somebody told me about the history of the team. And, and, um, and so I thought, okay, we can touch on the history too. This will be great. And I remember one day after work, I went to the annual board meeting. The team's a nonprofit. So there's an annual board meeting where they, um, elect a new board. And there I met Nathan who, Um, was on the board and he's a producer, Nathan Santel. And so he said, I've been thinking about how we should do something similar. So then him and I teamed up and um, he set up the first interview with John Bauer in the movie. And um, it seemed like when we were interviewing John, that he was like realizing during the interview how powerful the team was for him. Mm -hmm. So, um, after that, like that interview was so powerful. And even just at the very end of the film filmmaking process, I went back and watched the whole thing and like everything he said, like we used so much of it. Cause everything he said was like, and the John's the gray haired gentleman who's, is he HIV positive? No, that's and, Jim. Jim. That's right. Okay. John is, he's wearing like a blue polo. He talks about AIDS. He's kind of, yes, 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 yes. Yep. Um, so yeah, once I, really found out the history I, I couldn't believe nobody had already sure. done it sure so. so how long have you been a member of the club seven years seven years wow were the people in the film that kind of played the the key roles right the key voices in the film were you friends with them before sitting down with them or were you kind of acquaintances what was the level of your relationship with them that kind of that kind of comfort level yeah some of them I knew for sure Um, Some of them I didn't know as well, but pretty much Nathan, the producer, since he was also on the team, he knew the ones that I didn't know. So we together, we kind of knew everyone we interviewed, but not necessarily on like a really personal level. But I think still just knowing we were on the team, they trusted us. Yeah. This is a dynamic history that you convey from the club, the people who are involved. It's kind of role in American sports history. I would, I would even say, how what was, how did you face the challenge of condensing all of that into this one hour long film? You know, I mean, so much. Yeah, it was um, definitely a struggle, and I never knew that we were going to make a chronological, linear, historical documentary. That's fascinating. In the beginning, we really set out to capture what the team is now, and Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to hear from as many different voices, from as many different backgrounds on the team as possible, Mm -hmm. because I recognized how the team's been around for 35 years and there's really not that much stuff that's been around that long. So that gives us the unique opportunity to show the last 35 years in LGBT progress, you know? Um, 
So we interviewed over 50 people and um, I was still thinking it would be like this idea of showing people in their daily lives and the diversity of the team that way. But um, after editing and um, we first had a three hour radio edit that kind of incorporated like a bunch of different people. And then um, I think the film just kept wanting to be mostly historical. Mm -hmm. And so after, after about um, a year into the process, I just remember driving in my car one day and thinking like, you know, I really thought we were going to like, Oh, we'll touch on the history. Mm-hmm. But it was like, no, <laughs> like we're, yeah. we're making a historical documentary and if we're going to do it, we have to do it right. Yeah. We have to go and like learn the history, interview as many different people as possible, have them find their photos, their home videos. And so that process was so lengthy. It's still, it's a historical documentary, but it has loads of heart. Right. And I think that, is due in part to the people who the voices in it. Um, and then I think your keen awareness of, and you said this, the spirituality of sport of being in the water. And I'm, I want to come back to that in a minute. It feels like a really, the fact that you went that direction and, and approached it from that angle of history, it makes it a valuable resource because there's, I don't know that we fully reckon with the history of that community in our country. And especially when you get to the AIDS crisis, right? And we don't hear about that enough and the way that basically our national leadership betrayed that community, right? Just completely ignored that community. And that's a big part of this film too, because of the impact and the fears around being in the water and being in touching and being around people. It's extremely effective part of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is part of it too sports are often celebrated for their ability to bring us together. Right. But they're also the most divisive things, you know, go to any sporting event and you have people who are cursing each other out because they wear different laundry. Yeah. Seinfeld says you're rooting for laundry. Um, Talk about maintaining that tension because I think light in the water functions so well because it shows how sport brought people together. Right. And gave people hope and gave people, uh, energy and, and community, but yet it was also used to divide, right? You can't swim in this pool because of this. You can't compete in the Olympics because of this. Talk about kind of keeping that tension because it's never, you could see a, a version of this film where it's all rosy and, and happy-go-lucky, but there are real challenges that people face along the way from yeah. sport. Yeah, that was... Um you know, that was something that pretty much everybody spoke about was the relationship between, you know, or the tension between being an athlete and being gay. Um, and so that, that was like super fascinating to me because, um, you know, in the, in the first gay games, that history, I just, yeah, I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. And when Tom Waddell says, you know, using sport to show that gay people are just like everybody else because it's such a harmless thing. And um, Maurice Bang, who was at the first gay games, she talks about how... She's incredible. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. She talks about how when the AIDS crisis hit, she thinks that potentially, like, the momentum that was created with the gay athletic movement, like, that made it so that there were communication channels already in place when AIDS hit because like people already had each other's phone numbers and stuff from right, just right, from, right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. 
Um, yeah. So what's that? What changes have you seen in seven years? Because that's a, a good amount of time. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that like so one thing we don't really talk about, but I know there has been a theme on the team is there. It's West Hollywood for whatever reason. Is it is mostly gay men there. Um, lesbians are less visible there for whatever reason, but also on the team, I'd say it's mostly gay men and a lot of straight women. And I think maybe partially it has to do with, um, with it being like a safe space without the male gaze, G A Z E. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, Oh, I don't, I don't have anything to worry about here. You know, when you are like in your swimsuit and, um, I can't say that I've noticed a whole lot of change in the last seven years, but. So it was that diverse when you arrived where there were, it was not just. Yeah. There were definitely straight people as well. And you know, like, like my story, like I didn't even think twice about it. Yeah. Um, so I think there were other people like that as well. And it's that, it's that thing that's like, you know, you like the, maybe the young people, they so many of them expressed in their interviews like how they they really didn't know what went on during the AIDS crisis yeah. because they didn't have to know yeah and that's such a blessing but yeah. like also you don't know how good you have it until you until something happens so it's like this dichotomy of like those two ideas that like you know hopefully the young people really do understand what went on and yeah. so that's part of the documentary too is kind of hoping to shine a light on that so more people are aware of it. Are the gay games still functioning? Yes. So the gay games are taking place in Paris next month. Anybody will go to Paris? Yeah. Um, it's interesting to see how the, and this ties into the club because I think the club is a microcosm of, of the larger culture, uh, where the uh, participation and attendance in the gay games has dipped in recent years, at least as conveyed in the film, because the, the assumption is that athletes who identify as gay and lesbian are finding greater acceptance in their national teams, which is amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's interesting, like that's definitely, we had people talk about that, that, you know, and a lot of the younger people, they weren't, um, they weren't like really planning to go to gay games or if not gay games, IGLA, which is the annual yeah. meet. Um, but you know, it's crazy because the team is actually sent, sending 70 people this year and there's a lot of young people. And I'm yeah. almost wondering if it's like Trump era has like stirred up. People are kind of more driven to celebrate this community. Mm-hmm. Because it's such a big history and because there's so many people involved and you're bound by this time constraint in your film, what was that kind of first thing out that didn't make it that you were like, man, I really wish we could have put that person or that story. Hmm. Well, um, so Charlie's story, who, who, his story opens the movie, um, it's the cold open. He, you know, like it, it's such a powerful story that he had where at the college in North Carolina, where his coach told him like, yeah, I don't see you coming back from this. And he quit swimming and he was, an amazing swimmer and then found West Hollywood Aquatics. That was something that it's still in the movie, but like just the cold open, you know, yeah, cause we you don't really go back because we went with the chronological structure. Mm-hmm. There were so many powerful stories from young people that we just, 
couldn't use because um, because we decided that the most powerful way to structure this story was chronologically. And so that means that the main characters, the ones you meet early on, are the oldest ones. Mm-hmm. So we really didn't have time for a lot of the young people, mm-hmm. which was like heartbreaking because it's they have beautiful stories. But um, just because they're beautiful doesn't mean that like they have a place in this movie. In this story, yeah. So that was really, um, yeah, that was really hard. I think you believe and trust in the power of film to change people's hearts and minds, right? Mm-hmm. I think most probably most documentary documentary filmmakers hope that what do you hope that the audience takes away from your film? And then secondly, how has this process shaped you? Um, I hope that the audience like learned something that they didn't know about the history of AIDS and um, also the gay games. Mm-hmm. And that gives them more appreciation for queer community in their lives um, or maybe for someone who doesn't have any queer friends who sees it, you know, maybe they, hopefully they'll think differently mm-hmm. about, or if they do have queer friends, but they have different beliefs, hopefully they mm-hmm. think differently after seeing this and just with more understanding about where people are coming from, mm-hmm. because that's something that's so powerful is like, after learning this history and, you know, I just was so shocked by these people I swim with every day and they're so welcoming and they welcomed me and they're so warm and friendly and they've been through so much. (laughs) And it's like, you don't think about it, but, but people have a lot going on that you just maybe have never thought about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that that whole learning the history really and also hearing like so many horrible stories of discrimination Mm -hmm. you know i kind of i walked into this community and benefited from the warmth and family moving here to a new community without knowing anyone and um understanding the privileges i have as a straight white woman that Mm -hmm. um that i can use to help others Mm -hmm. and just how important that is every day so we conclude Every podcast with the question, how are you making it queer? And obviously, I think this film does that. But what are your hopes for the work that you do? Maybe we've talked about your hopes for the film, but maybe in the projects that you're involved in in the future, what are the maybe the themes that you're interested in, the kind of yeah. stories you like to tell? Yeah, it's always those stories of shining a light where it's been dark, um, social justice work. I think that it's the most fulfilling way to spend your life and there's like it's also really fun because you make connections with people and that like that feeling of actually impacting people is like it just keeps me me going you know like it's it's it seems like the best way to spend my life so I'll definitely continue to seek out those stories. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Liz. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for your film. Everybody, Light and the Water premieres on Thursday on Logo at 8 p.m. Watch it. Have plenty of tissues ready. Um, it's a beautiful film with a lot of heart and a lot of history. You're going to learn something. You're going to feel everything. So check it out Thursday on Logo at 8 o'clock, Light and the Water. Liz, thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Making It Queer is produced in partnership with Old Man Media. Old Man Media is a digital content producer and marketing agency that specializes in story. To learn more, visit oldmanmedia.com. Making It Queer is hosted by Ryan Parker. This episode was produced by Chelsea Halligan and Old Man Media, with story help by me, Samantha Curley at Level Ground. Music is provided by Ryan Amador. Don't forget to subscribe to Making It Queer wherever you get your podcasts. 